Hey, this is Charlie. Welcome to the Family Starship Podcast, where we review movies, get the reactions, and you've got yourself a podcast. I am, I am, however, not your host. Um, it will be my father coming in a minute. Let's drop right into it. Okay, so we get to talk about one of my favorite movies today, 1983's War Games. I will be joined shortly by Jeff and Lauren, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. So let's get right to the discussion. Okay, we're here to talk about War Games. I'm here with uh, my friend Jeff Hannes. Hello. And uh, my wife, uh, Lauren. Say hi, Lauren. Hello. Hello. Let's start with the blatantly reading from IMDb, or actually from Wikipedia in this case. Um, A young hacker unwittingly accesses a real military supercomputer running simulations of a real nuclear war in 1983's War Games. Let me just start with a description of this movie. Um, There's a a bunch of different things uh, that I could use to describe it. It's part Cold War thriller, part uh, sci-fi cautionary tale. It's a dive into hacker culture, and it's also a teen romance. Um, at least, at least I think so. There's elements of all those kinds of genres. Um, let me s- turn it over to you guys. Let me ask you, how did you come into War Games, and what does it mean to you? Well, for me, War Games. I mean, it's just a movie of my youth. Um, I was nine when it came out. Then I remember, I, I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it a lot on HBO. Um, one of those movies I watched over and over again. And I had, you know, I had my Apple II and I was really into computing and kind of learning a little, little bit of code. That idea of, you know, being able to access other sites and download the newest games, that totally resonated with me. Um, Lauren, what about you? I don't actually have a specific memory of when I first saw it, but I think I was too young when it first came out. So it must have been when it was on TV later. And I was definitely in a phase where it was like, oh, Matthew Broderick is in it. I'll watch it. And, you know, I definitely liked it right away and then would watch it again if it was on again. But I I don't remember exactly how old I was. Yeah, um, I saw I didn't I did not see this one in the theater. I saw it at home. And usually I saw it by a RCA Select Division. I don't know if you guys remember this format at all, but it's a, a really old video disc format. Um, and we had a lot, we watched a lot of movies this way. And I watched this movie a lot of times, um, probably around 1984. Um, and I remember not understanding the concept of what hacking meant uh, when I first saw this movie. And this was really my introduction into what that what that meant what it what it meant to be a computer hacker uh the ending of this movie um you know we'll, we'll get into this in more detail later is really seared into my memory because um i would watch that ending um and we'll talk about the whole the the cold war nuclear armageddon implications later um but that is seared into my, into my memory um, i could never stop watching that movie when it came on and it just left a huge huge impression on me when i saw it what I would take away from war games, so what I what I really you know 
think about when I think about war games is how it really fits so much into its time. It's a movie that I don't think could exist in any other time. Um, it's part, you know, uh, again, we'll talk about this when we talk about our family reactions, but the post apocalypse genre was big in the early eighties. Um, we had, you know, the Terminator, we had the Mad Max films. Um, we had, you know, uh, nuclear like Armageddon movies, like the day after and threads, um, back then, you know, it was just part of the culture to expect that the nuclear apocalypse was coming. Um, and it was just a matter of time. And this movie fit right into that zeitgeist, you know? Yeah. I think you could even, I think you could call it pre-apocalypse, which was something that was really big in the eighties because that was really a feeling we had like that, that this could happen, that there could be a nuclear war, you know, the whole, even just idea of, hiding under our desks and you know now kids have active shooter drills in our day we had we had nuclear drills you know hide under your desk which was absurd um i remember seeing those signs that said fallout shelter in a lot of the buildings um and there were a lot of buildings around where i lived that had those signs um so yeah it was it was present in everything back then um and alongside you know the whole cold war leading up to nuclear apocalypse there is the whole, you know, artificial intelligence going mad or just, you know, taking control of things, which is its own genre and was very prevalent at this time also. You know, the Terminator again, Tron 2001, Blade Runner. Um, there are a lot of movies with that theme. And this, again, fit in with that genre as well. Um that's this that's why i think war games is like the ultimate like distillation of 80s at least early 80s pop culture um it's really everything about that time in one movie um and it's just it's just the most perfect expression of that that i can think of um it's like i said before it's, it's a movie i don't think could exist at any other time and it's so of its time i think that's one of its strengths actually yeah, definitely. Uh, though I do think it's it's interesting that we've one area we have come full circle is artificial intelligence gone haywire is a huge theme, you know, right now in in yeah. twenty twenty and just in uh, I don't know if you talked about this or if we talked about this in any of the Star Trek podcasts, but how a bunch of the new Star Wars shows, sort of Star Trek shows, have have these themes of art artificial intelligence gone haywire, but it's usually more like an actual body and an embodied, whereas you know, war games, it was you have a giant computer with the talking box hooked up to it, right? Um, I and uh, Jeff, I was looking at your show notes and I, I agreed with you about the themes about the um, the type of movie it is. Um, I, I know you you disagree with it being a teen romance, and, and, I, and I agree with you for the most part. Um, one thing I think the point of this movie is really to point to put a finger on this technology and say, Hey, this exists in the world now. Like, you know, we have technology where conceivably some punk kid can hack into a system and tell it to do, you know, <laughs> you know, crazy things, you know, and that is something that I don't think a lot of people were aware of in, in 1983. Um, so it was, you know, it was a big introduction, I think for a lot of people into what, what hacking was. And, 
I don't think it's a teen romance, but I do think that having Matthew Broderick star in it, he brought like a sort of confidence and um, like wit to an otherwise geeky character that sort of made it feel more like a romance for maybe young girls like me (laughs) who might not have decided to watch it otherwise. And uh, similarly, um, Real Genius, I feel like is exactly the same thing. Like Val Kilmer's playing like, you know, this nerd basically, who is also very funny and handsome. And like, like those two movies both sort of fit into a very specific genre for me. Yeah. of like exactly what I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, w- I will say for boys growing up in the 80s, you got Ali Sheedy. Oh, she was great. You know, as, and there's there going to be a crossover as a member of the Brat Pack. Um, and just her, but her presence in the movie and her being attracted to this geeky guy that right. you know, us computer nerds could relate with, that's, you know, that's, that's some wish fulfillment in fantasy as well. So Definitely. And I think, um, is this the first time they really made like such a nerdy character seem cool? I don't know. It, it seems like it might be to me. Like it, it I, I can't remember the movie before this where they, where they did that. That's interesting. I mean, you think of other movies that came out around the time, like Weird Science, where the nerds were very much nerds and outcasts. Here's a guy who gets along, you know, is making the other kids laugh in school. You know, the... The hot girl likes him. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it definitely kind of, in a way that's unique to the time, normalized interesting computers. Right. Definitely. I agree. It's, it's ahead of its time. And, and actually, looking at it again, and we'll talk more about this, um, it's, it feels more genuine than a lot of movies that take on, you know, hacker culture later on. It, it feel like you know that visit that um, Matthew Broderick takes to the other hackers. That feels like a real conversation more than I, I think the way they teach they they treat like you know computer nerds later on. Yeah, I think the 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 one you know kind of added element they put into this movie that you know you think of like a lot of movies. I think of like The Net as a good example. Yeah. Of where like <laughs> anytime there's text on the computer, it's giant. Like, <laughs> right. You know, and, it, it, and they do all these things that, you know, no technology ever works that way. And I think the one thing you get in war games is, is the box, right? I, I don't know right. anybody who is hooking up a voice box to their machines, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it definitely adds to the drama and the element and, and you accept that. I mean, how is it they, they have the exact same voice box at NORAD that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, but that aside, it really is kind of, you know, it, it, it is pretty true to the, the technology and how it was used. Yeah, that just came standard with the TRS-80, I guess. I don't know. Um, all right. Anything else you remember specifically from War Games, your recollections of watching it from, from long ago? Um, I'll, I'll just start. Um, I remember, obviously, that ending. We'll talk a lot about that. Um, I remember seeing that um, remote control Tyranidon. I wanted one of those. I thought that looked awesome. Um, and then just like a lot of, lot of lines, you know, shall I play a game? How about a nice game of chess? You know, all those lines, uh, just a lot of, a lot of stuff that just, just was indelible, like right away. Yeah. The scene that, uh, you know, other than the obvious, but the, the scene that, that really locked in my mind and I always remember is when he breaks out of the infirmary with the tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and again, like you said, like this was not this kind of engineering and hacking. I I don't remember when MacGyver was on TV. I think that came later. But even After if it was yeah. watching it, you know, that that idea, like you know, wasn't a thing. So to see, you know, even James Bond movies, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really watching those at this age. So yeah, to see uh, to see somebody again who like could be me, just you know, having this really clever way of using technology. Uh, that really stuck with me. Uh, the whole idea of DEFCON 1, you know, I learned right. from War Games. And I remember even uh, I, I had done a, a play on that with the DEFCON 1. Or, right. Uh, yeah. I did. And I remember oh, having yeah. to explain to a bunch of people because I put like a mushroom cloud as the logo. And they're like, no, no, it's DEFCON 5. DEFCON 5. I'm like, no, no, no. War Games. <laughs> DEFCON 1 is the bad one. Yeah, DEFCON is one is the bad one. Yeah. So there's that, and then uh, I'll talk about about the more about this later. But something else that was like very impactful on my life was the way that David's father uh, butters his corn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, by putting butter on a piece of bread and then you, and wrapping it around the corn, like that, just stuck with me. And to this day, that's how I butter my corn. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about David's father also because um, with almost no lines, he leaves an impression um, for sure. Um, Lauren, what about you? Anything that you just completely just couldn't forget about War Games from way back when? Well, not just the infirmary scene, but like for me, the idea of the movie that like stuck with me was that their kids were smarter than the adults. Like any yeah. scene where they were smarter than the adults was like, that's what it was all about for me. <laughs> yeah. That is very John Hughes. Um, was John Hughes involved in this movie, by the way? Um, I don't know if he had a, if he worked on this movie. I don't believe so. I think that's why there's not that much romance in it other than, you know, the, a couple of kisses here and there, um, which again, that's why I said, I don't really consider it teen romance because while some of that is there, it's really not, it's not what the movie is about. It's not about their relationship. No, you're, you're right. It's not. Um, but there is they that connection and that chemistry they have carries a lot of the movie, at least in the, in the early part of it, for sure. Um, but but if, uh, if, I, if I were to put a name on the genre, like I, I'd say like adolescent wish fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Of, you know, having the power to like change the world and to be smarter than the adults and to really get what's going on. That's uh you know, that, that's a real, like, that That kind of is a fantasy that yeah, we have for sure. I, I, no, I agree. And I think, um, Lauren, what you said about, like, the relationship between the kids and the adults is very, you know, reminiscent of other movies of this era. You know, you know, John Hughes obviously made his career on that, like, relationship between teens and kids uh, and teens and, uh, and adults. Um, yeah, and it's, it's very, that's very present in this movie. All right. Let's move on to... Um, what did we think the kids would think of it? And, and I'll just start. I mean, Lauren, I think we talked about this, but I was hopeful, but I didn't think they'd really be all that into it because of obviously this is a movie very much of its time um, to get that impact of the threat of nuclear war and, and living in that era. They just, they don't live in that era. So I, I thought they might be bored by it um, going into it. What, what did you think? I thought that Charlie would like it because he is fascinated by the history of video games and yes. <laughs> that I, the idea of like the kids being smarter than the adults is definitely something I thought would appeal to him. 
I didn't think Joel would even want to sit through the whole thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about you, Jeff? What did, what did you think that the kids would think? So uh, I think it actually came about because uh, my that we watched it um, over the summer because my daughter, uh, who's 15, was learning about the Cold War. Uh, and so I thought, you know, I thought she'd enjoy it for... Matthew Broderick being there and uh and just you know she's she's interested in computer stuff so I thought that would uh thought she'd enjoy that I thought my son Caleb was 12 would enjoy it as well he ended up not watching it with us but you know he's very into computers he's he's programming he you know kind of does some hacking stuff and I was thinking oh he'd love it you know like all these things that you can do to, to hack into systems. And I'm like, you know what? Change your grade. I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's for the better if he doesn't watch a movie like this. And again, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, did you have any trepidation about like anything in there that you thought would be inappropriate um, about, about watching it? No, I think that's one of the great things about this movie is there's really, other than the opening scene, which is a lot more intense than I remembered, um, it's really there's not violence. There's not there's really nothing gratuitous. It's um, I think it's appropriate for almost any age. I thought the idea of nuclear missiles might bother Joel a little bit, but he kind of absorbed it pretty uh, smoothly. I mean, I could see him thinking about it, but I think it's so far removed the idea for, you know, for this, you know, the generation of our kids. Like again, we grew up seeing videos of people being incinerated. Like that was, you know, that was part of the curriculum. Like what could happen in the nuclear winter. So a lot of the imagery and idea we have of what a nuclear war means, uh, our kids can't even conceptualize. Thank mm-hmm. God. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I thought I didn't really have any trepidations, and I, I thought for that reason, I, I just thought like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's hard to conceptualize what that even means. I, I think at least for them, they're lucky enough to not live in that era. So yeah, we had to explain. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we talk about the kids' reactions. But we had to explain, you know, what the whole Cold War meant, and you know, what nuclear war <laughs> meant, and how that how that fit into pretty much everything back then. Let's take um, a quick break and let's hear what the kids think. Hey, Charlie, what did you think of War Games? I thought it was a pretty cool movie. I liked the whole on-the-run aspect. They've kept it exciting. Not enough video games at the time for me to get any of the references, except like Pac-Man, you know, that stuff. But, and, um, yeah. Um, less about video games, more about nuclear war. So, yeah, still pretty cool. Yes, so you were, um, would you want to play a game called Global Thermonuclear War? No. So, Joel, what did you think of War Games? Um, well, I didn't understand the concept of any of, like, the war things uh-huh. at my age, so I didn't really get most of it. Uh-huh, but... The, the only thing I do like about it, well, not the only thing, but one of the things I like about it is, how about a nice game of chess instead? 
Yes. So you, so you, but you liked it though. You, you watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. What did you think of global thermonuclear war? No. Okay. All right. Thanks, kids. That is a solid no. Okay, we're back. So let's talk about the kids' reactions. Um, I'll start with our kids. Um, Charlie liked it. He 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 liked it. He said he liked it a lot. He really enjoyed it. He sat through the whole thing. Um, I think he was really into the video games of the era. He's very into, like Lauren says, the history of video games. So I think for him it was kind of cool to see those old arcade machines and to see a main character who was so into games. He he really related to that, and that kind of I think carried his interest throughout the movie. I We had to stop and explain what the Cold War was and what nuclear war was and what, what the threat of it meant to us as kids. Obviously, he didn't live in that era, so we had to stop and explain that. Um, and I'm not sure he wrapped his head around it fully. Um, he kind of just took it as a very fun, exciting movie, and he enjoyed it. Um, Joel liked it, but not as much. He also sat through it. Uh, he told me he didn't understand it all that much. But again, he he liked the main character. He liked the games. And on the very abstract level, I think he understood there was some major catastrophic threat going on, even though he couldn't quite wrap his head around what that all meant. Um, what about your kids, Jeff? Um, well, like I said, only my daughter watched us with it, but watched it with us, but she really enjoyed it. Uh, I was kind of asking her after, you know, what did you like about it? And couldn't really get anything specific out of, out of her other than to say it was a really good movie, which I think pretty much says it. It's a really good movie. It is. So, you know, and again, she's 15. She's, you know, she's an engineering nerd. So I'm sure Matthew Broderick, you know, she would never admit that to me, but I'm sure she enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, in terms of explaining, you know, it was, like I said, we had had, this came off of us having a conversation and me telling her what it was like growing up in the Cold War. And I thought, you know, I, I mentioned before, I had completely forgotten that opening scene where, right. and I was explaining to Leia because for this, why that scene is so important and what it means. The idea, right, so the, the idea here is that the computer takes control and can launch the missiles. Okay, you know, the, and the, they have to stop it because the computer thinks it's real and, and it's going to launch actual missiles. The thing is, if you grew up in the 80s, you would never accept that because we yes. all knew about the two guys in the room with the keys that, that had to turn. Like, that was just something we, when I was explaining this to Leia and, you know, and, and Lori as well, my wife who was there, kind of, you know, she had forgotten that scene as well. And what that scene really does is for somebody who grows up in the time and who has been like indoctrinated with this idea of what it takes to launch a nuclear missile, right off the bat, the movie sets for you, okay, you know this, but here's why you've you know, put a, set up a situation where a computer could launch missiles. So I thought that was really, it was pretty poignant and really kind of brought me back to, you know, to, to the things, to the nightmares we were taught about in the, you know, growing up in the 80s. Yeah, I think most other movies generally have like, you know, the president on a red phone and like they don't take it much further than that. Yeah, um, that that first scene really set the tone and 
dramatized kind of like, okay, it, it, it kind of made it plausible, this, you know, quote unquote problem they were trying to solve with the, with the supercomputer. Um, even though I think as an audience, everyone kind of knew this was a bad idea from the start, you know? Um, but yeah, that was very effective, very gripping. It, it brought you right into that, like into that headspace of what the problem that you were trying to deal with in, in this movie. All right, let's take another quick break and we are going to finish up with our thoughts on War Games. Okay, we're back. I'm going to finish up with our thoughts on War Games. First of all, my reaction seeing it again after all these years is that it still holds up. Um, and I think I, I might like this movie even more now. I think with mature eyes, I can kind of see just how well put together this movie is. It has really, really good pacing. There are no wasted scenes. Like all the little character beats they keep they, they put into this movie are great. Um, I'll give you one example. When And again... Jeff, you'll have to remind me what Ali Sheedy's character's name is. I'm, I'm just calling her Ali Sheedy. Uh, Jennifer. Jennifer, okay. She walks into um, David's house and um, David's dad is there. And um, she just like kind of like walks past him and, and says hi. He doesn't say anything. And then as she's walking past him, he, he asks her like what tubulus means on his crossword puzzle. <laughs> and I just, I just thought that was a great little character beat. You know, like they, they kind of gave david's dad a little bit of a personality in this like you know 10 second moment that i thought was a really nice touch it kind of just informs you a little bit about david's home life without having to have like you know a long exposition scene or anything like that i I thought it was great um but there's a lot of little moments like that little little character moments that that i think just add up really really well what about you guys How, how do you feel war games holds up yeah i think it holds up incredibly well um it, like you said, it's just it's just a really well made movie, and I was really able to appreciate on these last couple of watches that it is it is smartly written. Like I said, the pacing is really good. And there's a lot of attention to detail, um, you know, information given in you know in quick tidbits. Uh, the things I didn't even notice the first time around, like they or even the first. I think just now in what must have been my twentieth watch for the first time, I noticed when they're talking about the drill after you know after the scene the opening scene that there's a there's just a line in there about 22 percent didn't turn the key so it kind of like you know it just it you you see the one scene of, of the two guys doing it but you realize very quickly in that one line that oh they did this across the nation they tested it with everybody so it's like it's just little things like that you know talking about again going back to david's father uh ironically we don't know his name that's pretty typical but a lot of these, most of these 80s teen movies, the parents are incredibly two-dimensional. They're usually goofs and kind of you see this parodied you know, in modern stuff like Stranger Things where the father's a complete idiot. But what I love about you know, the couple of scenes you get with David's father, like that is you know, not only do they kind of flesh him out a little character, they show the connection. Like you yes. see him, that scene where he's buttering his bread to butter <laughs> corn, like it's the little innovation there, the, the thinking outside the box, like that's, you can see, oh, that's where David gets it from. Exactly. Yeah. 
Definitely. I love the way they do that in this movie. And, yeah, and, and you know, watching it as an adult, there's there's that funny scene when they're talking about, you know, you know how old people are. 41? Oh, that's old. Yeah, yes, I love that line. That's awesome. What about you, Lauren? Did it hold up for you? Definitely. And I think one of the things that makes it hold up is just like Matthew Broderick's acting. Like he is completely believable as a teenager and at the same time completely believable as like a really intelligent guy who could hack into like the defense department and, you know, figure these things out. And, you know, and his reactions to like the situations he's in are like he like I totally bought all of them like I, I felt like he was that person and like I completely just sold everything for me and I, I think there's so many teen movies where teenagers either you know are played by older actors and it's obvious or are played by teen actors who are just like 100% look like you know um, they were you know just dying to be on the Disney channel, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like he just, he felt so real to me. I definitely like felt that, um, just as much as I did when I was younger. No, definitely. And, uh, yeah, and add, Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Oh, and to, to add, you know, with Matthew Broderick and, and the acting, um, you know, it's funny. There's that, uh, you know, I always think of, Wayne's World has a scene where where Wayne is like, and I never learned to read, and it's flashing <laughs> on the screen, you know, Oscar scene. Uh, you know, that that scene towards the end of the movie where he's like, I never learned to swim. I always thought there'd be time. Like, it's just, ah, uh, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's so well, again, so well written, so yeah. well acted. It's just. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think what, what I was going to say before is what I think is really striking about this movie is how much credit it gives the audience. Um, it it has these really, I think, at the time, pretty out there concepts that it's throwing at you. And it doesn't really, you know, it, 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 it gives the audience credit to understand all this. You know, there's these conversations between hackers that go on that, you know, I didn't understand as a kid, but you don't really need to understand all the details. I understand more about it now, um, but you don't even need to understand all the details to understand what's being discussed here. And it's dramatized. And like you say, it sounds very genuine. So it carries it and it makes you kind of like get more and more involved in the movie as it goes on. Yeah. You know, as, as a professional computer programmer, um, uh, yeah, whenever I build a login system, I always have you know means to to to, to access it. So the whole idea of a backdoor is uh, yeah, that's a thing. Cool. All right, let's do some categories here. What was the best scene? Let me let me ask you guys, um, Lauren. I'll, I'll go to you first. What what to you was the best scene in the movie? I always have a hard time, but yeah, definitely the end in the war room is what I remembered the most and you know was was it that is the scene that represents the movie you know I that's, agree. that's it yeah uh jeff anything you want to add yeah i definitely agree that the that the end scene in the war room is is my favorite scene in the movie um especially you know when when they're running through the simulations you know first the tic-tac-toe and then the when it's running the global thermal nuclear war simulation you know, something you know, since you know, since I was young, I've played a lot of board games. I've played a lot of computer games, wargaming. 
So a lot of these, when it's running all the scenarios, like you know, Soviet strike first, the U.S. strike first, the NATO strike, just you know, I recognize a lot of these, and it just keeps going. And it's just kind of again, it's just so cool to see you know all the missiles firing and uh, just how it really kind of drives home that idea of like the learning of the artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I think it's a great depiction of that. I don't think. Um, any other movie has done that as well. Um, it, it's a great concept that this machine has to learn that nuclear war is futile in like these next 20 seconds. And it depicts it in a very visual way that is satisfying. Um, I, I've always thought like other computer hacking scenes since this, um, and this is an early example of it, I just never really dramatized it as well. I, I just thought that was a, a very, very effective scene. Um, I know we're all agreed on the on the um on the war room scene. Um one of the scene that I thought was really effective um was the scene where they go to to see Professor Falcon in the uh, on the island and he has to explain uh to David and Jennifer about, you know, why he's choosing not to stop the nuclear war. And he makes a speech about, you know, the dinosaurs came and went and it's our time to come and go. And, you know, yeah, I remember that scene, like, you know, and he talks about, you know, we're, we'll be lucky. We're close to an, a military base. We'll be vaporized early. And that scene kind of just summed up, I think, what everyone thought about nuclear war at the time. It's like, you really just want to just, if it's going to happen, you want to just be vaporized early. Um, and it just like was so representative of just a general anxiety everyone had about it, that it made that entire last act you know, just a little more poignant, I think. I just think that that added something really special to the movie. Um, so what doesn't hold up for you guys? Is there anything in the movie that you think, yeah, that should have gone better? Uh, yeah, there's one thing that jumped out at me was, and again, I didn't remember this. I don't know if I ever noticed it before, but, you know, they do... There's a lot of pans around showing Whopper and very similar shots. We, they probably cut those down a bit, but and then when they show what flashing lights that are like eyes, that's thought, exactly what I was. That was, say. that was a bit hokey. It wasn't as bad as the robot in Space Camp, but, uh, but you know it, it wasn't necessary. Uh, so I could have done without that. That's really you know I, I noticed uh, one like thing with the where they're grilling him on who you know who are you going to Paris with. The ticket was in her name. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so they, they they messed that up. But you know, yeah. like I said, the, you know, gaffes like that are few and far between. Um, that's the worst I can say about the movie. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, and you know, Dabney Coleman in the movie was kind of a boob, so that it's the kind of thing he'd overlook. <laughs> um, Lauren, anything for you that doesn't hold up? Really, all the you know the lights that looked like a face on the computer was yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> But everything else, I I was fine with. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, the security at the base seemed pretty lax at times. Very convenient, but, you know, there's no movie without that. So it's it's fine. Um, who is the MVP of the movie? I think Matthew Broderick. Hey, yeah, I think I, that's that's the obvious um, and be hard to argue against it. Um, but I would throw out that I really like General Berenger. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, I think Barry Corbin is the actor. It's just he is he is the adult in the room, right? He's got some he great, he's got he some great one-liners. 
Yeah. Uh, he's both, you know, comedic, but serious and, you know, taking it really seriously and kind of, you really, like, it really makes the movie work. Like, even, well, it, you say it's just a simulation, but if it's not, and so, yeah, I, fantastic role and, and really well done. Yeah, he is the argument for common sense um, in the movie. Um, and um, yeah, and I agree, Lauren. Uh, I think Matthew Broderick is tremendous in this movie. It's a it's a star making role. Um, he shows off all the appeal. Like we, we've already talked about him, but like, you know, makes being kind of a geeky hacker look cool. And I, I don't I can't see anyone else pulling that off as well as he does. It's a lot of the same appeal you see in, in Ferris Bueller later on. But um, I, I think he, he makes the movie. He really does. Um, I'll give you a low key kind of, you know, you know, bit part MVP. What about the, the guy who drives them in the Jeep when they're racing to get inside the base at the end? Like that guy, all he knows is that, you know, what does he what did they tell him to convince him to like smash through a, through a fence and like, you know, break inside this base at the end? Like he had to have known a lot to, you know, have been so invested in getting you know, a Falcon and the two kids inside the base at the end of the movie. Uh, I always, that was always striking to me that like they, that he really, really went for it. He really smashed yeah. up that base. I'm, I'm actually, it, you know, it's funny, but I'm actually glad you brought that up because it reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about. And in terms of does it hold up and another you know, strong character with, you know, limited screen time, I think is McTritt's assistant. And it becomes pretty clear that she was the one who was communicating with Falcon, and she's the one who told uh -huh. her, you have to get them on the base, right? Because she's the one who's ushering them in when they arrive, and she's right. communicating with them. And she's got that great almost throwaway scene where, like, where Dabney Coleman, like, takes his gum out of his mouth and hands it to her, and she just kind of looks <laughs> at it and puts it in her mouth. Was that yes. great, or was that horrifying? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> horrifying. But I, I just love the matter of fact, like, like so again, so many movies in the eighties, especially anything having to do with military, the women are just ugh, that they're, they're so badly portrayed, and it's not the case here. Whatever you can cut that, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, no, I I, I want to get into it. See the gum to right, me. So I'll, I'll I saw that as not only gross, but like like she's his assistant, and so it's her job to take his chewed up gum. Like, and that's like. That's the kind of thing that a male character in a movie or probably in real life in the past could do to a woman, but he would never do to a man. You know, like uh, you would not see in a movie and probably not in real life, a man handing his used gum to his assistant and expecting him to eat it like that. <laughs> like that, that to me felt like a sexist moment. And the fact that she just takes it like bothered me. Right. And it could be partially because Dabney Coleman is the boss in Nine to Five, so like I, like it's hard not to see him as that character. But like I, def that was definitely my reaction to it. Well, it, it definitely sells his character as 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 a jerk. You know, like it it definitely like you know sets that character up to be someone that you know we we, we would expect <laughs> we we would expect him to to be kind of an idiot um, when when he deals with um. Yeah, I, I guess what I was looking at is more like he is obviously a complete jerk, but her reaction rather, you know, and I don't think he was expecting her to put it in her mouth. I think he was just handing it to her and be like, you deal with this. I just thought her matter of fact reaction to it was uh, like uh, uh, this again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I see characters like that as like 
they have to do this because otherwise they'll get, you know, they'll get fired. Like women have to put up with so much crap because that's just their reality. So let me ask you, um, would you watch this movie again for fun? Definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I would. If I could convince my son to watch it, you know, tomorrow, then I, you know, I'd watch it myself. You know, I got a lot of movies to watch, but no, I, yeah, it's watching it again reminded me of just how good a movie it is and how much I enjoy it. Yeah, I actually watched it this morning. Um, yeah, definitely watch it again. Okay, <clears throat> remake, remote, reboot, sequel, or leave it alone. I think there should be a. Um comic short remake where the ai is alexa and <laughs> they figure out <laughs> they're trying to figure out if she would start a nuclear war or not <laughs> right what do you think jeff let's play global thermal nuclear war um, <laughs> yeah i mean sure you can parody it i definitely they should not remake this movie you know like we talked about before it's so much of it is steeped in in its time you know you take out the cold war aspect uh, and it's it's just such a good movie. There's no reason to remake it. It'd be fun to, you know, maybe to have a reunion and like catch up with, you know, what are, you know, what are the characters, you know, David and Jennifer doing, you yeah. know, 40 yeah. years later. Yeah. My my first instinct is to say, leave it alone. But hey, I, 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 I like the Cobra Kai series. So I think it's possible to revisit characters from, you know, iconic characters from from this period and to catch up with them and see what they're doing now. See, see where David Lightman is in his life now. What, what if he is programming for the military now? What if he's like, you know, uh, a, uh, you know, a system security guy now? You know, that could be fun. You know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be against that. Uh, if, if it was done well, no, I would not be against that. Would only be on board if they also brought back the uh, two computer experts. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Final impressions on War Games. Anything else you want to add? One of the best movies of the 80s. Definitely. That um, harmonica music at the end. Um, I always, I, I remembered it very well. Um, I remember when uh, we watched it, Lauren, and like, uh, I think Charlie mentioned, hey, that sounds a lot like Overcooked. Yeah, or, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is. And like Overcooked is about, you know, Armageddon as well. So I think it's, I, I, I'm, I would guess they got that from this movie, at least the idea for it from this movie. Um, and that, it leaves that tone. It's a very, it ends on this, everyone is celebrating in this root, in this war room at the end, but it's really just, what are you, what are you celebrating? We just basically narrowly avoided Armageddon <laughs> and like, you know, um, there's all, all these problems still exist. It's just like, it, it leaves on a very melancholy note. Like, even though people in that room are exalted, like, you know, the camera pans back and we're like, yeah, this is still kind of a mess, isn't it? You know, so I, I, I love that about the movie. It, it makes you think and it really kind of leaves you <laughs> cautiously, you know, um, optimistic about the future. Optimism um, is good. Yes, yes. It's a good year to watch it. <laughs> What um, what what to show the kids next? Th does this lead into anything? I say real genius because okay. what kid would not like a 
entire house being uh, <laughs> filled with popcorn that is heated up by a laser in this plane. Yes. Well, you could do a whole podcast on this, and maybe you will if you watch Real Genius. Um, I won't show it to my daughter. Really? Because the, you know, I thought, and I think, like, it is right up her alley. She would love Al Kilmer. Again, she loves the computer nerds. Um, the misogyny is unbelievable. Oh, yeah in that movie you can show it to your sons and you know you you, you raise them right but you, you'll see if you watch it again that student petitions it, um, it, I, 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 I don't think that one's gonna hold up um i forget lauren is there a lot of raunchy humor in real genius i mean i remember i i you know i have not seen it in a long time and i i was pretty um innocent so there was probably a lot of humor that went over my head when i was a kid because I saw it when I was like in fifth or sixth grade or something. So right, I think it goes well. Same for like there's a there's a lot of stuff in the '80s that was fine in the '80s that we didn't think twice about, um, that we just accepted. That you know now you know in in 2020, um, it's yeah, there's stuff that, uh, that that won't go over as well. I, I would say it's 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 which is unfortunate because I love the movie so much. Don't think it's a fit. Don't think it's necessarily a family movie. So but I could be wrong. Remake, could remake be that one. No, interesting. I um I I didn't really grow up with Real Genius. Like Lauren, you showed it to me once, and I liked it. Um, didn't leave a huge impression on me. So I'll, I'll leave that one up to you. I. <laughs> what about Ferris Bueller? Think they'd be ready ready for that? I, I don't think they're old enough to really appreciate yeah. it. You're probably right. You're probably right. Um. Other Cold War movies, I, I, I don't want to show them the day after, <laughs> um, even though the day after kind of like just like to me, it runs right after War Games in my mind. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any need to show them that movie um, unless they really, really ask about it. Red Dawn, probably a bit uh, too young for that. Red Dawn, yeah. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, about like, you know, the things that, you know, were, were of their time and probably not appropriate, you know. Um, I, I think it's okay to have conversations about those things. So I think, you know, I would be open to some of that. I, I guess I haven't seen Real Genius enough to tell you whether that would fit that category or not. Red Dawn, I know pretty well. I, I liked Red Dawn, but I like it as a pretty, you know, like, you know, just action movie more than anything else, you know. Um, I I think I think they might enjoy it. But again, um, it's it's a pretty dark movie you know you know anyway i don't want to spoil red dawn but like a lot of like you know a lot of death in that movie so yeah i don't know how much they would enjoy that one i mean i think to, to maybe put a bow on um, war games i'm not sure there is anything you watch after it because it is such a good movie that really kind of stands on its own as just being a good movie like yeah okay, you can find other movies that deal with similar material you could do other matthew broderick but I wouldn't watch them in the context of saying, okay, well, you like war games, then I think you might like this because yeah. uh, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of movies from that era that measure up to it. I agree. I agree also, but also you know, thinking of cold war movies, what about the hunt for red October? Ah, I love that movie. I, I think that would be great. I love that movie too. I think, uh, I think we might be able to get, at least Charlie would enjoy that. Yeah. I don't think Joel would sit through it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think Charlie would enjoy that. It's a good one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put that one on the list because I, I want to see the movie again. So I'm just going to put that on the list. All right, guys. Well, 
Thank you both for joining me. This has been fun. Um, a great movie. Great choice, Jeff. Thank you for prompting us uh, to put war games on the list. I had a lot of fun watching with the kids. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Play a nice game of chess. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. All right. See you guys. So glad we got to talk about War Games on the podcast. It is one of my all-time favorite movies, so I want to thank Jeff and Lauren again for joining me on this episode. We actually recorded this like a couple of months ago, but I've been really busy. I wasn't able to put it out until now, and we are right in the middle of the 2020 holiday season, so this is going to end up being our Christmas episode, because nothing says Christmas like global thermonuclear war. Anyway, uh, once again, this uh, podcast featured music from Metaphasic, Technoax, and Airglow. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Computer, play Global Thermonuclear War. I prefer a nice game of chess. I said, play global thermonuclear war. You have thermonuclear war enabled. Do you want to open it? Yes. I support three commands. You can ask me for status, set DEFCON to 1 through 5, or ask me to attack a city. Uh, set DEFCON 1. DEFCON has now been set to 1. What next, Commander? Oh boy.